Hey, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, where's my wife? She's hiding somewhere. Oh, there she is. I'm looking past you, hon. We uh, didn't want to do the slides and the stories on Sunday morning simply because some people love slideshows and some people gag on them. And we thought we have too many and it would just not go over well. So, uh, so we thought we'd do a night like this. And so really thank gracious that we know that the people who are here want to be here. So that's really cool. So what we're going to do, we're just going to walk through the slides, tell you about the, the four places where we were. And we've swapped out stories with each other. So she'll tell some, I'll tell some. And uh, then at the end, we, have a, we can have a question and answer, and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up and we'll be done for the night, all right? Uh, we set up like this tonight because this was set up Sunday, and we didn't feel like moving the table, so. But Diana and Margaret decorated and made the pictures and that kind of stuff. Why don't we pray before we get started and just ask the Lord's favor on the night? All right, Father in heaven, thank you so much. We had a marvelous trip. We pray that you will help us communicate the pieces that we saw you at work in and what we got to experience. And we pray you can translate that for our friends and that it'll be a night of uh, excitement and celebration over what you're doing with people that we know. And so we give that to you with great hope and ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. So I, I got to turn this on, right, Dave? It's on. Okay. Here we go. So the, for those of you who are new and stuff, we went to four places. We went to um, Cape Town, South Africa, and then we went to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Then we went to Salzburg, Austria, and then we went to Ljubljana, Slovenia. So what we did is broke the trip into four pieces and, and the stories into four sections because if we just ran it one straight thing through, you'd numb out about the third place, right? So we're starting here. This is uh, Cape Town down on the southern tip. Uh, what? There it is. There it is. Okay. And uh, and so when we went there, we went to go and see James and Sarah Lunn. And this picture, you see JJ and Hudson. And uh, now there's Caleb. So Caleb was born two weeks ago. And so now they have three boys. This is their house. Um, you would call it more like an apartment. Um, it's what, about... It's Seven, very small. 700, 800 square feet. Uh, it does have three bedrooms? It has three bedrooms yeah. and one bathroom. One bathroom. Mm-hmm. And when we were there, they were experiencing an extreme uh, water shortage. Uh, so bad that they had to bring water in and you had to <laughs> do the toilet by pouring water in the top and then flushing it because you couldn't use the city water. So that was part of the experience um, when yeah, we were there. Yeah, we only got one shower for seven days. Yeah. <laughs> So, tell, Pam, tell them about the flight. Oh, okay. So, we leave Seattle, and our first stop is Dubai, and that was 14 and a half hours of flying, which neither one of us had ever flown that far. So, we were a little nervous on what that would look like, but actually, it went really smooth, and we didn't have any issues. Um, we thought at first we weren't going to be able to sit together, but we actually got to sit together. That's true. And then in Dubai, we were amazed at the airport. It is a amazing airport and we got to stay in a hotel right there which really helped us break up the trip and we got some rest so that was something fun to look forward to and then after that um, we flew to Cape Town which was another 10 hours but because we were excited to get to Cape Town it didn't seem that long so it wasn't bad yeah 
So the grateful thing, we, we never hit jet lag. It was awesome. So, matter of fact, that night we were talking with James and Sarah on the couch just like this, and he goes, you guys are ticking me off. He says, you're older than me, you're the ones who flew, and I'm falling asleep. And you're just jabberwocking, we're going to bed. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So it was really pretty fun. Um, uh, so they are associated with YWAM, which is an acronym for Youth with a Mission. And many of you are familiar with that ministry. And, uh, and so their base is in Musenberg, which is a little um, coastal town just right next to uh, Cape Town. And uh, we had the chance to be able to go there and see that. And, and see that. And in Cape Town, we'll show you some pictures here. So this is, uh, they have big frames like this all over the city. And so you can stand in the frame or sit in the frames. And this, this is the port uh, that's behind us. And then you can see this is from a, a very famous place called Signal Hill. It's a mountain that you stand on top. And uh, Jackie would recognize that, right, Jackie? And that, that is the soccer stadium that they built for the Goodwill Games. So Cape Town is in phenomenal shape because they fixed everything up for the Goodwill Games. So the roads are incredibly Good. I mean, it's just great driving around. Uh, this is a view of the port of Cato. It's a huge port uh, that ships come in. Here's a view of the city itself from the hill. And if you swing uh, just a little bit to the right, here's the iconic view of Cape Town and Table Mountain. And uh, I don't know if any of you have been there, but that is a lot bigger hill than it looks like on that picture. And so uh, some really amazing um, the thing you don't see in here, and we realized once we got home that we had absolutely no pictures of, are the townships. So really, Cape Town looks very much like America or Britain. Um, it's really nice. It doesn't look like Africa at all. Okay? And, but then you're going along, and then you hit the townships. And the townships are very much like um, if you go on a missions trip to Tijuana, Mexico, and you run into the barrios there, it looks just like that. So you see this, and you're driving along, and then next thing you know, there's a township, right? And then you drive past the township, and then it's all nice again. And so uh, we, we don't have pictures, and the reason we don't have pictures is James was sensitive to us taking pictures, um, that it would cause problems, and so we, we didn't take any pictures. But we'll tell you some stories about it in some of the townships. So at the YWAM base, we uh, met Marco and... Uh, Marco was a, a co-worker with uh, James in Youth with a Mission, and he was doing several projects. One was in a little small township they found, and then the other one's in the orphanage. So I'll tell you about the township, then Pam will tell you about the orphanages. So Cape Town is uh, it's on the sea, and so there's sand dunes there. Like, you wouldn't expect that, but there's sand dunes everywhere. So there's this huge township called Kalichi, and um, 1.4 million people in that township. You stand on a hill and look and it just goes forever. And in that, uh, they are doing a bunch of work, YWAM is, but along the coast, along the sand dunes, they found this little township of about 250, 300 people. And it was, uh, there's a sand dune in the middle and one town was on this side of the sand dune and the other town was on this side of the sand dune and they were both gangs and so they'd come to the top of the sand dune, fight each other and, and then go back down. And so, they went in there, they found it, and they found someone who wanted to work with them. And so they came into this township, built a learning center. And that learning center now is teaching the kids school. And they realized, well, we can't fight and kill each other if 
we, we take out that learning center, our kids will never learn to read, right? And they want a different future for their kids. So they made a pact and an agreement that they would no longer war. And so now there's peace in that little township of 250, 300 people. And they have, uh, YWAM has built a learning center. Uh, computers have been donated. The kids are literate. They've just built a, a hydroponics garden. And now they're providing fresh lettuce and all this stuff for the township. And so that is their model they're using for the rest of that huge township in Kalichi for projects that they can do. So once um, Marco got this all taken care of, he decided he needed to do something else. And I don't know exactly how it came about, but him and his wife were talking, and I think she had a connection somewhere. But they decided to um, put together some orphanages for handicapped children because these children didn't have any place to go. They, um, I, I don't know they if it's them. just, yeah, they just shun them over there. And put so, them in closets. So, you know, when you think of an orphanage, you think of a huge building with all these rooms and these kids are just shoved away in these rooms. But actually what they did is they have small houses that they have purchased. And then there might be maybe 10 or 12 kids in each one of these homes, and they, um, that's where they house them. And, and it's really neat how they have it set up because they have a kitchen with a cook who um, provides really good meals for them. And then they have a learning area where they sit around and they are being taught um, everything a kid would be taught. And they have a play area outside. And then in some of the homes that we were in, they um, also had um, rooms where they slept. And a lot of these kids aren't able to walk around, so, you know, the, um, they've had uh, wheelchairs provided for these children, or they just lay on these mats on these floors, and there's always two adults there, and um, they really give them a lot of attention and care. And when we um, tour the homes, they're all, like, really close in proximity to each other. Um, we were really impressed, and it wasn't, like, a dark and dingy and depressing place. It was a really... Um, cheerful and um, just a very encouraging um, situation to see. And you could just see that the people who are taking care of these kids really um, love them. And the woman who um, started all this with Marco, she um, is continually trying to get more space and to um, allow more kids to come and be a part of this. And is really working it's with the award government. Winning. And it, yeah, she's really doing a, um, a really good job and, People are starting to take notice, and they notice that she has got something going, and so more and more people are joining up with her and helping her and providing things for her. So it was really exciting when we mm-hmm. got to see that. And Marco's kind of a contradiction. He's a German, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like this, but he knows every kid's name, and when he walks in, the kids all light up, and he calls them all by name, and he hugs them and kisses them. It's incredible. You feel the presence of Christ in there, so... That was cool. You also got to do some fun things. So Kalichi, we're in the middle of this township, all right? So there's James and Marco and Pam and I. So four white people in the middle of 1.4 black people, okay? 1.4 million. And, we, and in the main intersection of the township, they have what's called a braai. And we, we would call it a barbecue. And, uh, but they have this, it takes up the entire corner of the street, like 200 feet long, and there's like 50 Barbecues. Now, when we say barbecues, we're not thinking American barbecues. Think a 50-gallon drums cut in half, laid on their side, right? With a screen thrown over the top. That's that's their braai. And so we we stop in, and Pam goes, "Is it okay to eat here?" 
<laughs> he goes, yeah, 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 we come here all the time. And they know us. And so they walk around and, and they just point and you see piles of meat and they, they point what they want and the gals cook it and then they go buy a loaf of bread and you sit down at a table and they will bring you a platter and it's like this big and it's piled like this high, right? And then you just sit down, sticky fingers on all and you eat and it's absolutely delicious. And what was hilarious is we're sitting there and this young, I don't know if he's American, but a young American looking kid, like maybe 22, comes walking in. And James and Marco go, hey, what's he doing here? He's a white guy. And Pam goes, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, but, but that's different. We're different. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. You know, even missionaries have their own little glitches and stuff. It was pretty, we laughed at them. They, they thought that was pretty good. Uh, when I was down there, I got to speak at a black church. James has got a number of relationships and Pastor Jeremiah is a friend of his. And we got the night before, went the night before to their home with Jeremiah and Hope, his wife, and heard their story, crazy story. If we could ever get him here, uh, literally swam across uh, crocodile-infested rivers to get out of where he was. And it's just an unbelievable story. Uh, but he allowed me to speak in his church, and so we went and I spoke in a black church in Cape Town. And it was really funny because for black pastors, they amen, hallelujah, right? They got it rocking and going. But if a white pastor speaks, they, they listen. Right? They don't do anything because it's considered an honor thing. And I came from America, so they had to really listen to, you know, because I brought something very important, right? And, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm from Sugarbush. Come on, folks. And, uh, but so I said something. I can't even remember what I said, but it was pretty funny uh, because James and, and Pam are cracking up and nothing, right? And I said, hey, wait a minute. Stop. Pause. I said, am I in a black church or a white church? Where's my amens? Where's my hallelujahs? That was pretty funny. And they started laughing like, and James is going, dude, that is so hilarious. Nobody ever does that. And he said, and, and so then by the rest of the service, they were rolling with me and we just had a great time. And uh, that, that was really fun, really unique experience. Uh, people came up and talked to us for what, 20, 30 minutes after and just, you know, we had a great time. Uh, so we'll, we'll show you a couple more slides here. Here's uh, Cape Town. Uh, this is another view of it. Scenery was really pretty there with Pam in the screen. There we go. Uh, penguins. There are only two other flocks of penguins in the world that aren't in Antarctica, and one of them's right here on the beach in Musenberg, just just up the road. And so we went and we're standing on the beach, and here's a whole flock of penguins, right? So kind of fun with the kids. We took the kids and walked and showed them the penguins. And, and we got to go to the Cape of Good Hope, which is the most southwestern point of Africa. And, uh, and the, it's a whole uh, game reserve, and we got to go there. Uh, we'll show you some great pictures here. I mean, that's what it looked like. It just absolutely, that's like 800, 900 feet down. This is, you can see the point out there. Here's another shot. And then here's another uh, shot looking back. And we drove out to that point. And when we got out to that point, we discovered baboons. Okay. And that's your story. Yes, we have a funny story with this. So, of course, going to South Africa was great that we knew somebody who lived there who could take us around and give us tours of everything. And they could also warn us about things. And so they warned us about these monkeys. I'm just going to call them monkeys because I have a harder time saying bamboo, bamboos. But anyways, so anyway, um, so anyways they, he warned us. So when we were driving um, away from... Um, the Cape of Good Hope, 
we were in our car and our windows were up and some cars in front of us had stopped to look at the monkeys. And so we stopped as well and, you know, we're just kind of thinking, oh my goodness, they are the ugliest thing ever. But, you know, they're God's creation, so we were trying to admire them. Well, a car (laughs) pulled up behind us and it was just a man and a woman. They had their windows down and they decided to get out of their car and take pictures. Well, the minute they got out of their car, we tried to open our window a little bit and tell them, get back in your car and roll up your windows. Well, before we could get the words out, a couple monkeys got in their car. And before they could do anything about it, the monkey, one of them grabbed one of their backpacks. And so this guy is trying to grab this backpack from this monkey. And there's the and monkey of course, on the car. you're not going to be able to grab the backpack from the monkey because they are mean. And there's not just one. All of a sudden, a whole bunch of them start coming around. And um, actually, the woman tried to um, come around on the other side of him and try to, you know, distract. Yeah, yeah. But they, they kind of trapped her, and she got really scared. And so I'm in the car going, well, we can't leave because the other cars were leaving. I'm like, we cannot leave these people because, one, they're, you know, not safe. And, two, there could have been something really good in that backpack, like their passports or a bunch of money. And so we were sitting there, and we came up with the idea of taking out a piece of a sandwich that one of the little boys didn't finish eating for lunch. And so um, James took that piece and kind of handed it out the window to the husband. I'm assuming that was a husband and wife who were um, together, and the guy took the sandwich because um, the monkey had, at that point, got on top of our car, or the car, and so he gave the monkey the sandwich, and the monkey took the sandwich and dropped the backpack, and the guy was able to grab the backpack, and then they got in their car, and I think they realized they needed to be smarter, and so they rolled up their windows. But that was a, um, a very interesting experience, and it really solidified that idea of when you are in the wilderness or when you are, you know, around wild animals, you don't get out of your car. <laughs> the reason we felt loyalty to him is this is th- that picture of us at the Good Hope. Um, if I, uh, I won't go back, but they took that picture of us, right? So it was the, co- and they were following us out, so we didn't feel like we could leave uh, on I that. I have left because you feel bad for people like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, Cape Town. We got to do a bunch of things. This is so. This is behind us. Desmond Tutu's church, Bishop Desmond Tutu, and that's his Anglican church. And we were right there, and um, we had a chance to do that. I think the greatest takeaway is how much our coming meant for James and Sarah. I mentioned this in church on Sunday, but um, when it was time to leave, James just started choking up, and he he's, he was trying to tell us how much it meant that you would have sent us to come and see them and to encourage them. Uh, and he, he could hardly get the words out. And he said, you know, Steve, I, I've been here 10 years and nobody's ever come to see what I do. He said, except my mom and dad last year when we bought that house. And he said, uh, the fact that Northview would say, he said, I, he just, I mean, he was sobbing and it was really moving because uh, we already have a close relationship with him, right? As a church. And uh, so for them, Northview is just like, up here, you're the rockinest church that exists on the planet. And uh, and by the way, the YWAM base was very impressed with you because when we went to the base, we walked in and James said, this is my pastor and his wife. And they were like, like, oh my goodness. Like They said, we never get head pastors through here. And so it, it had a huge impact. And, uh, and 
And I think also for me, one of the things that was so neat about going there is that, you know, they come here and they tell all their stories, but we never get to see yeah. um, what they do and where they do it. So just to be in their hometown and to see things that they see and the stories that they tell, that really, for me, was important. And one of the things that we um, wanted to talk about was, even though we didn't take pictures of the townships, we got to go in a township, which I thought was great because I wanted to see what one was like. And we actually got to meet a couple of the guys that James has been here and talked about and had asked for prayer for. And um, some of these guys now have come to know the Lord. And so they decided to have a barbecue for us. So we got to go to one of the guys' houses in the township, and they put on a barbecue for us, and they invited all these friends of theirs. Um, Most of them now um, do know the Lord, and they do Bible studies together, and it was really neat Mm -hmm. to see their relationship and how they encouraged each other. And and a couple of the guys, we actually went to their home and invited them to come. They're not really walking with the Lord right now, so they didn't want to stick around too long. But just for us to sit at someone's house and just listen to their stories and to hear, um, again, how, you know, they came to know the Lord and what they're doing now and what they're hoping to do. And then to just talk, like, on a friend-to-friend level. And, I mean, they talk about America and they talked about our presidents. And, you know, they asked us questions and we asked them questions. And so it was really cool to actually meet somebody that you heard stories about that you think at the time they sounded really scary, but in reality, funny. they are funny, funny and they're just like us and, you know, nice and polite and they had a great barbecue. I mean, the food was really good and, and to just know, you know, that they took the time and effort to, to host us. They didn't have to do that. And so all around that was really The meaningful. big thing in the townships is uh, what they call tick. We call it meth here, and meth is ravaging the townships. And so a lot of what James is doing is trying to work with people to get them off a tick. And now these guys who have gotten off a tick are helping other guys to get off a tick. So it's really pretty cool. So that that's South Africa. From South Africa, we flew up, and uh, we went to Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Uh, Tanzania is on the east coast of Africa. It's on the Indian Ocean. And uh, you have the trip from Cape Town to Nairobi. Right. So, of course, you know, I thought originally, oh, they're in the same, you know, vicinity. It's not going to take long to get from one place to the other. Well, obviously, that is so wrong. wrong. So, that was like another 10-hour flight. But we had a layover, and we stopped in Nairobi. And this airport was probably the least nicest airport that we were in. And and one of the indicators of that is that we um, are walking to the next place where we have to go to catch a flight. And I decided that I wanted something to eat, a little treat. And so we're standing in line to pay for this, and all of a sudden the lights go out. And we're like, oh, wonder what's going on. And no one's doing anything. No one's panicking. So we decided, well, I guess we shouldn't panic either. And a couple minutes later, the lights came back on. And everyone went back to business, and so we can, you know, paid and continued on. And then, before we knew it, the lights were out again, and we're just like, well, they went out before, nothing bad happened, so I guess we're okay. But it's just that eerie feeling of, mm, we're no longer in America, and you never know what could happen, but nothing did happen. Yeah, so. that was good. So we arrived at 1:30 in the morning in Dar es Salaam, and uh, we were worried that that would 
bother Nate, but he said, no, no, no. He said, that's actually good because from the airport, this is Nate Lashway, and we'll have a picture of his wife, Tammy, in a minute. But uh, Nate is a former roommate of mine at the house in Totem Lake, and played in our bluegrass band with me. He was the bass player, and I was best man in his wedding. And so we have a long history and relationship. And uh, Tammy is from uh, Deer Lodge, Montana. And so they married, and they were in Montana. Then they were missionaries in Madagascar for 15 years, and now they've been in Dar es Salaam for a year and a half. So we caught them right as they uh, came into Dar es Salaam. And from the airport to Nate's house at 1.30 in the morning was uh, 20 minutes. When we left Dar es Salaam to get back to the airport, same drive, two and a half hours. So if you try to, and we'll talk a little bit about the traffic and that kind of stuff, but um, you have to talk about where we stayed. So in this place, we got our own little um, house to ourselves. They have a guest house, and so it was a very nice guest house, and it was really nice to have a little space of our own where we could do laundry, and if we wanted, we could make our own breakfast and um, just have some time to ourselves. So that it was a very, very nice place. And one of the cool things is if we could take a shower, and they have their, um, their heating system. Um, all you have to do is push a button, and instantly you have hot water. So that was really nice. That's even nicer than it is here for me. <laughs> So for me, uh, Tanzania is everything you think of Africa, right? Uh, just the colors, the sounds, the sights, the people, the smells, the landscape, everything. I mean, uh, you drive through town, there's vendors on every corner, colorful costumes walking around. It was just, you know, a total cultural immersion kind of thing. And uh, we, we had a great time. It's a major port city. We have a, a shot here. Here's uh, a foot ferry. Behind, right behind is uh, Dar es Salaam. So it's a, a pretty modern city in a lot of ways and, and then not in a lot of ways, depending on where you are in the city. And um, we, uh, from here, we are on a ferry and we are going to the island of Zanzibar. And I don't know if you ever heard of Zanzibar or ever know anything about it, but it's out on the Indian Ocean and uh, it's up the coast a little bit from Dar es Salaam. We're coming out of the port. That's the fisherman's market all those hundreds of boats and you walk into the market and they just have open fish market for as far as you can see. And uh, coming right out next to us, here's the fishermen. There's their boat and they're going out into the open ocean uh, with all those guys in the boat. Here's Pam and I in the ferry. The guy below us is enjoying the ride a lot. (laughs) And uh, Nate took that picture, but you can see the city in the background. So we're heading out to the open ocean. Uh, way out in the ocean, here's these guys. In, this looks like a picture, doesn't it? But they're out there fishing. And you can't even hardly see land out here. And so like, wow. Uh, when we get to the island, we land in the harbor and the name of the city is Stone City. And it's a, it's a very famous place. Um, the, the, so slavery as we know it started here. Okay, and so it started first with the Ottoman Turks and the Arabs coming in and going into Central Africa and then coming back out. And then the Portuguese came in and told the Sultan that if he didn't work with them and barter with them and trade slaves with them, they'd blow his palace out of the water. So they parked all the Portuguese man of wars into the harbor and threatened to blow his palace up. And so then the Portuguese were in it and then came the British and then came the Americans and came through. This is also the city where David Livingston came through. If you've ever read anything about 
David Livingston, right? And, you know, Mr. Stanley, I presume, you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume, that whole thing. Uh, he came through here and then went into uh, Central Africa off of this island here. So uh, lots of amazing history. And then... Yeah, and so we had to obviously dress a little differently because this was mostly Muslim uh, territory, and so they um, had us dress a little different. And um, Zanzibar, you know, parts of it were really pretty. There was aspects of it that were really pretty, such as they had these huge doors all over the city. And so a couple of these um, pictures that we have are just of these big, huge, beautiful doors. Here's your buddy. Oh, yeah, and then um, one of the stops um, that Nate wanted to take our picture with, there was this waiter, and he came out, and um, we asked if we could get a picture with him, and then he asked where we were from, and then, of course, he got all excited, and he said, ooh, Trump land. So <laughs> they're all very excited about President Trump. We do not like Trump. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't really like Obama either. It was pretty but. funny. It was pretty funny. But all they right. liked us. Uh, this here is... Uh, Oh, there's another door. Okay, here we go. There we go. Uh, this is the Anglican Church. This Anglican Church is a very historic place. It sits on the site of the former slave market. So it sits right on top of where some of the uh, dungeons were where they kept the slaves. And uh, there's some very unique things about uh, this church. Uh, the altar here, uh, you can see it's very ornate. There's a, where's the cross? I think it's in the last picture. Let me go backwards a second here. See that cross? It would be on your right, my left, that cross in the corner there? That cross is made out of the wood of the tree where they buried the heart of David Livingston in Central Africa. And then his two servants carried his body out a thousand miles so that they could get it, put it on a ship, and take it to England. And so incredible history. So I reread, there's a brand new book out. It's about this thick about Livingston and Stanley and the, those journeys, and I reread it, and you're, you're at the place where this stuff happened. It's just tingling. I mean, it's just like, wow. You know, just, it, it's crazy that that's when this went on. But uh, this is now uh, kind of a heritage site, and on it they have, uh, here's a, a pit depicting the open market when they would uh, sell slaves. And then under the church are, are these... Uh, Dungeons or compartments, or I know. So there's like a shelf. I'm leaning against the shelf, and the next, the one with Pam, and it's a little better. You can see it a little better. They would cram like 70 people in there, and you see that trench we're standing in. So at the time, the slave market was right on the coast, and so when uh, I mean they they cram everybody in there, and so I mean you can imagine, you know, they defecated and peed and ate, and people died. And so what would happen is the tide would come in, flush in, and then flush everything back out. And that's just horrid, horrid stuff. I mean, hot, terrible. I mean, you're just sitting there going, how in the world can the human heart be that wicked? And then you realize, boy, when you think about the fall and you, you, know, you just know Scripture, you're just going, man, it's, it's just a very sobering uh, type of uh, deal. The Stone City itself, here's some markets. Yeah, so there was a couple of markets um, in Zanzibar, and of course everything's just out in the open. Um, they had areas where they had their meat, which I don't think after seeing all the flies 
around the meat that I'd ever want to buy the meat there. But they had meat hanging out. They had all their fruit and their vegetables. And then, of course, they had, you know, other items as well. Actually, Kayla and Abby and Matt are wearing um, pants and shirt that we got from Zanzibar just because, um, you know, I wanted to buy them something that was unique and different. And and so, yeah, they, we were able to buy it in Zanzibar because they mm-hmm. had a lot of items for sale there for a very good price. Of course, it helped to have Nate there who could barter with them and understand sometimes the language that we couldn't. So it was great. So that's one of the things you felt really dumb because almost everybody there spoke three to four languages. Like, for example, Nate speaks English, he speaks Malagasy, he speaks French, and he speaks uh, Swahili. And you're like, so he's in the market, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even do English, you know? And so that, that was a humbling kind of deal. Uh, very unique in terms of restaurants. Yeah, so in Zanzibar, um, you know, there's some old, old you know, tall buildings. But the thing that I notice is that they're all so close together. Narrow, so you're just walking, narrow. yeah, through these little narrow alleys. And so Nate's like, oh, we're going to take you to this really great place to eat for lunch. Well, when you get to the door of this place, you're like, really? There's a restaurant here? So you'd go narrow. through this alley and then you'd go up these stairs and then eventually you'd come to um, kind of like what we would call a small little cheese shop. And so that's where you could order your food. And then you walk out onto the balcony, which is where we are. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is nice. But up to that point, you're really wondering, oh, dear, you know, are we ever going to get to where we're supposed to be? Those are designed to catch the sea breeze, right? So you're three stories up there looking down on the street with all the truck drivers yelling at each other. Pretty funny. Uh, We got the waitress to take a picture of us. This is the doors on the uh, palace, uh, the Sultan's Palace. And you, you just see the size of them. All the, all the buildings are made out of stone coral, and they all have um, uh, the same look to them. And so as you go through uh, this one back here, this is an example of the narrow alleyways you walk through, and it's like that through the whole town. And then here's, uh, you can see, and you can see on these, I took this shot. It shows you what the salt water does to it. You see how black and chewed up that is? And so they have to constantly redo the buildings with plaster because the salt water uh, corrodes it. This is the Sultan's Palace. That's the one I told you about. The Portuguese wanted to bomb and uh, blow up from the harbor, and that's the biggest city. And so we had quite a trip there. Uh, very interesting running into a, a lot of Muslim people and then running into Christian people that Nate knew. Uh, we bought a picture in the market, and the guy goes to Nate and he says, Hey, you were the guy who was at church last week and spoke. And he goes, Yeah. So we ran into believers in the market, and that was kind of cool. And, and so just very dynamic, because we don't know what's going on at all, right? Who's, who's who? So that was kind of fun. So then we get back on the ferry. We'll skip a whole bunch of stuff. We went back on the ferry, got to Dar Salaam, and then we go on safari. And we go into central Tanzania, and basically the route we took, the highway we followed, was the same route that David Livingston took when he went into Central Africa on all his adventures. And uh, we're heading to the game park, and uh, Pam has a great story to tell you about elephants. Well, first, when I knew I was going to go on a safari, the one animal I wanted to see was a lion. I looked high and low for a lion and never saw one, so I was a little disappointed about that. No Simba. No, (laughs) but what I did see close up was an elephant. 
And um, how that happened is we were driving along. We hadn't gotten into the game park yet. We were just driving to our hotel, and we saw uh, elephants on the side of the road. So we decided to pull off and just kind of take a peek at them. Now, Nate was as cautious as James, and he knew, do not get out of the car. However, we did have our windows down because we were hot, and um, and these four elephants were on the side of the road. And um, as we pulled up, they kind of looked around at us, and three of the four decided, well, they were done eating, so they decided to saunter back to um, behind the bush. Two tuskers and a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So they they left. But then there was this huge elephant left, kind of munching along, and as Steve would say, it was probably the mom. And um, Nate decided to take some pictures of this elephant. Well, the elephant heard the click of the camera, and the elephant turned, looked at us, yeah, flung out its ears and sauntered to me slowly over to the car and decided to let us know that she was not happy that we were there. So she kind of pulled up against our car and kind of nudged it. And and then you could see this big eyeball staring at you in the window. And Steve was right there next to the elephant. And all he is thinking about is, oh, my goodness. Close the window. Close the window. This elephant is going to take me out of the car like a Jurassic Park scene and (laughs) flip him around and throw him away. And Tammy (laughs) next to me is saying, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, we're going to be the next YouTubers. I just know it. There's going to be people who are going to be taking a video, and they're going to watch us die. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I was so fascinated, though, by this elephant and how close it was in this big um, eyeball. Anyways, it nudged us again, and then um, as if it was just telling us, you need to leave. I don't want you here. And then it turned and left. And so we decided, okay, it's a good idea if we, we take off. Um, later, though, we realized when we took a look at the car, the elephant actually did dent the car by just nudging With us. Just, and I'm serious. It was so slight, you would have never thought that it was dented. So then I realized, ooh, that elephant could have so easily just knocked us over. So, I mean, really, we could have oh, tell been about the guys behind us. in a dangerous situation, but I never felt like we were. So there was this motorcycle that we had passed along the road a back a ways, and they had pulled over to the side like we did when we saw the elephants. Well, after this incident, just as we were about to pull out, they had already pulled out behind us, and they are just so excited what just happened, and they're like, yay, way to go. Yeah, so they were excited to see something. I think they were hoping to be the video people to put it on YouTube if we were to die. But... We disappointed them. So we'll just scoot through some of these. We've got great shots. Nate had a great camera and uh, great shots of animals. If you think of the Lion King, it's that kind of turf and country. This is a baobab tree. This thing is enormous. Just to give you a picture of it, here's Pam and I up in that tree. And uh, we're like, I don't know how far off the ground uh, the gal you see in the picture, that's Tammy. That's Nate's wife, Tammy. And she's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful person. Here's some more pictures. Uh, here's a wildebeest. You just, some amazingly beautiful birds. This bird doesn't look that cool now, but when it flies, it, it illuminates in blue. And it just shimmies and it flies like this. So it just flares and it's just really cool. Uh, we had hippos in a lake. Watch them far in the lake. Here's a wildebeest. 
there's a classic, there's a picture of Africa, right? That's the deal. They had all kinds of hornbills like that. We were right there's giraffes, right? Really close, great pictures. Uh, you had a number of different animals. This picture's cool. These uh, uh, zebras are sitting there. And so Nate takes his picture. So right before he takes the picture, I whistle. And they all turn. <laughs> Never moved an alternative. Like, wow, we could sell that. That's cool. <laughs> then you see the all mixture of animals. There's another beautiful bird. And then uh, Pumba ran right across in front of us. <laughs> On the way out, we saw a bunch more giraffes. And then we saw more elephants. So that was, that was the Tanzania and the game park there. And, uh, and this is the cool part. Uh, an African sunset. Watch this. Just gorgeous. I mean, it's just absolutely stunningly beautiful. So coming out the game park here, we saw a whole herd of giraffes. Then here's another baobab tree. And then alongside the road, here are the Maasai warriors. You've heard of the famous Maasai warriors with their spears. This is them herding their cattle along the paths that are along the highway. And uh, so we got to see quite a few of those guys all over. And then um, in uh, Dar es Salaam, we got to go to church. And uh, so early in the morning, we went to a black church uh, in the center of Dar es Salaam. Nate's pastor, uh, friends with the pastor. And uh, we get there and it's a good sized church. How many do you think it held? 400? Yeah. About 400 or so. And, um, and so we get there and uh, they... They realized Nate has brought guests. I think Nate called the pastor and said he's bringing his friends. So in the service, they made Nate and Tammy get up and made, brought Pam and I up. And Nate described who I was, my relationship to him, and uh, that I was a pastor in America and that we had come to see them and to encourage them. And the, the, the type of honor you get over there is so completely... I mean, you know, here if you tell somebody, oh, I'm a pastor, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you, there it's like... Oh my goodness, you're the pastor. And so after the service, they take you up into the pastor's office. They have donuts and chai tea. And, you know, they just, it, it's a, it was a very cool thing. And they rock it. I mean, if we think we have problems with sound, I mean, we're talking ear decibel splitting levels. And we're talking full choreographed, black gospel, rolling it out, kicking it for all you can, Jesus kind of stuff. It was fantastic. I mean, and these guys have voices, and they were, oh, yeah, I'm the best, and he's faster, and, and he's higher, and, and the seat is lower, and yeah, you know, and it was wow. It was pretty impressive. So we were having a great time with that. Later, we went to another church plant north um, of uh, Dar es Salaam, and uh, that same morning, and it was a guy from Houston and his wife who planted the church, and they were reaching the upward mobile. Uh, millennials in Dar es Salaam that were professionals. And so we went there. We actually stayed because Pam liked the worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, re- so very different to see the different type of churches. But the, the thing that was uh, striking is we were talking to Nate and seven years ago, so Nate and Tammy are in the assembly of God, right? Kissing cousins to us. And they, uh, seven years ago, they had 1,765 churches. So just under 1,800. Today, as we sit here, they have 8,000. And it's the African church doing it. It's not the missionaries. It's, not the, it's the African church doing it. It's just incredible. And so Nate and Tammy's role is actually going to change here very quickly because what they realize, if they train the church planters in the large city 
it doesn't work because they can't go to the vi- the middle side villages and the small villages. But if they train them in the small villages and they learn to barter and do all that stuff you in a small village, then they can move up, right? And so Nate and Tammy are going to move in December to a little town called Moshi, right at the foothills of Kilimanjaro. Uh, they showed us pictures stunningly. So we said, oh, we'll come back for that. And, uh, and they're going to begin to train the church planters for all these churches that they've got. Some of the churches are small, right? 25, 15, 25. Uh, some of the churches are quite large. And, uh, and so it was very exciting to just listen. Uh, Nate and Tammy, just like James, very alive, right? Excited about the Lord. They saw, they could tell us stuff of what was happening right there. And so that was, that was really cool. All right. So then uh, at the end, uh, oh, this, this vehicle right here, I had massive truck envy. This is a Toyota, lifted Toyota Land Cruiser. It's a twin turbo diesel five speed with the snorkel to boot. It was like, I'll come to Africa for this. You know, oh, it was awesome. They kept saying, you want to drive? And I went, no, because the traffic down there is crazy. I mean, there's a rhythm to it, but only Jesus knows what the rhythm is. Okay? It's frightening to drive through Dar es Salaam. In the middle of the week, uh, they said, oh, you guys are going to a movie today. We are? Yeah, because we're busy weekend. So, so uh, Steve, their driver, is gonna, he says, Stephen's going to take you to the movie house. And I mean, we went through town in the middle of the day and it was like, Wow, how did we not hit that? How did we not hit them? How did they not hit us? How they, I mean, like 10 different times just on the way to the movie theater. Uh, it was really cool. We got to see Spider-Man, and we knew we saw Spider-Man before Matt did, so it was kind of fun we texted back. <laughs> we saw Spider-Man, yeah. But this is a Bonda, and a Bonda is a, another word for a thatched place, but this is a two-story Bonda, and this was our last day in Tanzania. Nate and Tammy said, you know what? We just got to go to a place. This is our favorite place in the world. We just want to go and rest the day with you before you have to take off and go on the rest of your journey. So we went out to the Bonda, and uh, this is up on the second floor. There's Pam and I and Nate and Tammy, and this is us. Uh, Nate's quite a photographer, so he took all the pictures. But if you go just 50 feet down through the brush, here's a beach. Either direction, this is about a five-mile beach. It is as gorgeous as anything you've ever seen on a travel brochure. And there is not a person there. It was unbelievable. Here's a bigger picture of it. Here's Pam and I, uh, absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, oops. Go back. Okay, so, so then that was Tanzania. And so from Tanzania, then we flew to Salzburg, Austria. And that was, um, that was a flight, long. too. That yeah, was I think so, yeah, yeah, that was a long flight, too. So uh, Tanzania to Zurich, Zurich to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Salzburg, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Airports are a reality unto themselves. Those of you who travel, right? Like you go in, you may never come out. <laughs> it's incredible. Our, uh, we, they went pretty well for us except in one place where we almost missed our flight. But um, this is uh, Gordy Beck. Gordy Beck is, uh, whoops, where'd Gordy go? Oh, what happened? Help. Dave. I lost Gordy. I'm back to South Africa. I don't know how that happened. We're having technical... Anyways, uh, Gordy was a student in the youth ministry at North Shore back when I was the 
youth guy there. Matter of fact, he was in the same discipleship group as David Bordner. And uh, they were talking to us and they said, hey, Mitch, do you realize all these people that came out of that one group and like they have scattered across the world in missions? And it's like, no, I never realized that. It was pretty, pretty amazing. So we'll try this again. There we go. There's Gordy. He is a fun guy. And uh, he and his wife, Tabitha, are, are there. And we just had a great time with them. And so the first day there... He took us uh, both to the church and then to a refugee house. At the refugee house, we met this guy with a Seahawks hat. And he's from Tunisia. We said, oh, you're from, from the States? No, I'm from Tunisia. And, uh, but he was a Seahawks fan, so we thought we'd show you that. That was pretty funny. And, uh, but here's, here's Austria. It is just some kind of pretty. Yeah, I would say out of the four countries that we went to, Austria was by far the most beautiful country. And I think part of it was not only that it had rolling hills, but it was just the vegetation. It seemed like everywhere you went, it was so manicured. And you know that someone's not sitting there doing that for every piece of land that's out there. I just think that's just the way Austria is. But it was absolutely gorgeous. No fences in the whole country. It's really, really amazing. Here's uh, another picture there. Here's another picture this uh we threw this in just uh, this is a stream behind gordy's house just mountain stream he said hey come on and walk you down to the stream wildlife yeah yeah south africa was winter dar salaam was okay and salzburg and slovenia was summer and here I was worried about the weather. I wanted to have sunshine the whole time, which in South Africa, we actually did have sunshine almost the whole time. And it wasn't that cold. I mean, in their house was actually colder than outside their house because they don't really have any heating, central heating. But it really wasn't that bad because we had just left from here and it wasn't that hot before we left. So temperature-wise, it really wasn't that bad. But once you got to Tanzania, it was hot. So this is uh, Gordy and Tabitha's youngest son. Pam and him are sitting at a shed together. And we're walking down to a lake. And on the way to the lake, here's the trout swimming in the stream at the outlet of the lake. I was wanting to jump in and grab stuff. <laughs> and then uh, here's a, a lake. And then uh, that's me out in the lake. And I wanted to go say I swam in an Austrian lake. So I swam out. There's a raft out in the middle. I swam out to the raft and came back. And now I can say I swam in a lake in Austria. But... When we went, um, Gordy took us to, uh, as I mentioned, the first day of the church and then to a refugee house. This is the refugee house. And these are four guys who were at the uh, baptismal candidate class that Gordy took us to uh, at church. And at the church, there was probably about 12 people when we first got there and then about 25 by the time we started. And there were probably six women, so the rest were guys, 22 to 37 in that range. All of them are refugees from Iran or uh, Afghanistan. And so uh, I thought there were Syrian refugees there, but they're not. They're all from Iran or Afghanistan. And uh, Ahmad, the guy in the beard there, right, sitting right next to me, super guy, funny guy, uh, but a really hurting guy. He's been there for almost four years. And four years, right? And his wife is still in Tehran. And he was hoping the second time 
that they would get a visa to clear so she could come to Salzburg. And as we're sitting there that day, he found out that the answer was no. And so the the stories are, uh, you could make movies out of these stories. And we'll tell you some here tonight. But at the church, uh, when we got there, uh, Gordy told everybody who Pam and I were. And they said, okay, Steve and Pam, come up and tell your testimonies. Cold cocked us. They hadn't even warned us he was going to do that. And so we got up and we told our stories. And uh, and then he, they had them write their stories out. And I think what he explained to us is that Arabic and Farsi are very ornamental languages. You can talk very flowery for a long time and not say anything. So he was trying to get them to line up with what was it like before you met Jesus? What was it like when you met Jesus? What was it like after you met Jesus? And so once we shared our testimony, then he said, all right, you have to, there were tables just like this and you have to write your testimony out. And then after they had to sit around and share their testimonies with each other. And so uh, we sat at a table and uh, Gordy translated. And I mean, literally, you know, you've heard stories about uh, in the 1040 window of people seeing Jesus or like, you know, like um, with... Uh, yeah, Emmanuel and uh, Grace and his story, uh, you know, visions and seeing Jesus and that kind of stuff. And you could make movies out of all these things. It was really pretty incredible. We'll save the stories uh, for a little bit later in the slideshow. Let us show you some of the other stuff. Here's Salzburg, uh, Sound of Music. We were right there. You recognize that shot from the movie? We, we were right there. This is a uh, 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 street at the end. You'll see a church down there built right into the mountain. That's an old uh, abbey of nuns, and they were all dying off. And there is a youth movement in the Catholic Church in Salzburg that draws about 3,000 young people in their 20s um, to that abbey. And we did not stay with Gordon Tabitha because they have two young boys and they didn't have a room. So we stayed next door with this guy named Sam and his wife, Veronica. And unfortunately, we don't have a picture of Veronica. Uh, great couple. But he's a worship leader. He's, he does all kinds of stuff. He leads a black gospel worship choir in Salzburg, Austria, with white people to Catholic young people, about 3,000 people, and leads Maranatha music, and they're coming to Christ. The craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. And, and he has videos of these people, and actually, uh, you can actually find him, Sam Lang, and you can download him and find his stuff. It's crazy. And so wonderful couple. They, we stayed with them, and they live right next door to Gordy and Tabitha. And uh, we're hoping they'll come to the States and visit us. And I told them all about here, and he'd have to come and join with John, and they'd have to throw something together because it'd be really cool. That's the church where uh, they gather now because that was given them. This is, uh, you, those of you who've been to South, you know, just narrow streets, right? All kinds of people. Churches are amazing. These stone pillars are 60 to 80 feet high. And when you stand there, you're looking up and you're wondering, how did they get those in there? How did they make those? How did they get them up and not crack? I mean, how did they? It was just mind-blowing. This scene you might recognize, Sound of Music. Remember when they hid behind the gates? That's right there in the courtyard. Here's the castle in um, Salzburg. And you go up on top, you can stand on the top of it. We have just a little short video here. This is Salzburg, Austria. It's stunningly pretty. There's the river that goes through town. We're standing on the top turret of the castle. How many of you have been to Salzburg? A couple of us? Yeah, okay. Then you would recognize this 
And in the background, right coming up here, right there, that big mountain, there's a ski lift, and we went up that, and we'll have a few pictures of that here in just a second. So so pretty amazing. And uh, here was our, our favorite restaurant. It is on the side of the wall of the castle. You have to walk up a bunch of steps to get there. The trees are planted there. There's like four of them. And they are like this big around. And you sit up overlooking the city of Salzburg. It's just stunningly pretty. Uh, I think you'd recognize this. You are 16 going on stuff. Right? That's right there. And it's at this summer castle uh, for the the bishop or the ruler or whatever they call it. This, that was fascinating to go through. But here's the uh, view from the gondola. Yeah, it's like you're in a plane. That was way up there. Uh, there's another shot. I mean, you can just see how far down you're looking. There's that cutie again. Cross up on the hill. Yes, you can see they ski down to that chalet and then come all the way back up. So, And then uh, from there we went into Germany this is one of those uh, toboggan runs you can do on a mountain, right? You get in, you hold the stick. And as we were going to the place, we come around a corner. We're in Germany, and it's the site of uh, Hitler's Eagle's Lair. You heard of the Wolf's Den and the Eagle's Lair? It was right there. And we went, oh, man, wow. In the process of that, uh, Pam was telling Gordy she had always wanted to see a concentration camp, and so he got us to take us. And when we went to the concentration camp, these three went with us. Pam's going to tell you their stories in just a second. That's Demon on the left. She is a brilliant scientist, has written papers that uh, are being circulated all around the world in, in the scientific community. And then the two guys, the guy with the big afro, Kamran, uh, and uh, I laughed and said, no, one day when I get here, I'm going to do that. And he thought that was pretty funny. And then his buddy right next to him is Suleiman, Solomon, right? And then that's Pam and Gordy. And Pam was saying she wanted to go to a concentration camp. Gordy said, well, I can take you to one. And we said, what? He said, yeah, there's a concentration camp in Austria. And I had, I had read World War II quite a bit, and I had never heard of this place. And it's called Mulhausen. And uh, it, was, it has quite a story about the end of the, the war. And well, you know, you have these pictures or you hear these stories about these um, concentration camps. And so when we went to this one, I just assumed that right from the start, you know, they captured all the Jews and, and that's where they went. Well, actually, this one started out by just housing all the political prisoners and, and it was like a work camp. And so, it, you know, it started out okay. Um, but then as the um, war went on, um, this was actually the last concentration camp to shut down. And so by the end of the war, this is where the Jews came. This is where um, all the other... Um, so, yeah, when the, f- the two fronts came in, the Americans and the Soviets, mm-hmm. so, you know, we hear of Auschwitz and Dachau and Flossenburg and all those kind of places. The end of the war, they took from all those camps, mm-hmm. they were trying to get rid of the evidence, and so they shipped them all down to Mulhausen. Mm-hmm. They estimate that in the last two years, between 90 and 105,000 died at that camp, mm-hmm. just in the two years. And the thing that was really um, interesting was that it is just like you would read in a book or see in a movie. Um, you know, they have where they would house them. They have where they would have to stand out in the courtyard every day for hours. Um, they had um, their workstations, and then they also had the areas where they Killed them. actually, yeah, Killed them, and um, and then they showed us 
in the back section where towards the end of the war when the Jews um, prisoners were coming where they um, just would put up tents and stick them there and you know make sure that they you know if they had any illnesses you know they put them in isolation before they would allow them to do any work and now it's the burial ground because at the end of the war um, you know the soldiers killed everybody and then they just stuck all their bones and everything just you know in one little heap and it was you know pretty bad so they you know have um, obviously taken care of all that and buried them and um, it was very clean I was expecting to see you know, things still sitting around or, you know, but there was nothing there. It was just the buildings. And so um, as much as it sounds like it would be depressing to look at, it really wasn't that depressing. Um, so that was really exciting um, to for me to just be able to actually go to a concentration camp. And, uh, and then I was able to ask Gordy questions that I was never able to ask people because, you know, he had history. His wife, you know, her, she grew up there. Her family grew up there. I think her uncle or someone was a soldier, an SS soldier. And so I asked him how these Austrians could, you know, allow this to happen. And he was able to explain to me that actually at the time they thought that that was the right thing to do, that there was nothing wrong with what was going on there. And, you know, they were given incentives to, you know, report any prisoners that may have escaped you know, so obviously no prisoners ever could escape because there was houses around, and, and if they saw anything, they would report them, and they were always caught. It was actually the next generation of people that really started to feel the remorse of what happened. And, and so now they don't really want to talk about or reflect on, you know, what happened there because they do have a lot of remorse, even though us as Americans could say the same. We did the same thing to the yeah, Japanese. They don't, and they don't like the yeah. sound of music because that yeah. reminds them of their role in the war. So we love that story. They don't like that story at all. And for yeah. them, that story was just these are normal people. And so they didn't even really know that there was a movie made of it until years yeah. later. Yeah. But now on to... Um, Let me show the video first. Oh, yeah. Here's a, show video. The, the other thing that's stunning is the size of the place. If you've been to other camps, the size of this is incredible. That's me standing, taping the whole thing. But it's enormous. I mean, it takes a long time to walk from one end to the other. And then it's wide to boot, so. What were you going to show? Oh, okay. Um, so then, uh, on the way back, Gordy says, hey, you want to do something fun? We've got to stop at this town. And Pam goes, sure. And uh, any of you recognize this? This is the church where they filmed the wedding for The Sound of Music. And uh, if you recognize, there's the inside of it, right? And there's the altar. And uh, so we got to see that. There's the pipe organ for it. And uh, we want to end the slideshow uh, for uh, Austria with these three again, Dimon, uh, Kamran, and Soliman. And Pam's going to tell their stories. So as we hung out with them during the day, we were able to just, um, you know, talk with them one-on-one -on -one about what it was like for them to come to Salzburg and what they were hoping to ha um, be able to do once they got to Salzburg. And, and so we were in the car. Um, they were filling up with gas. And I was asking the guys, what is the one thing that you miss about 
your homeland? Um, you know, did your parents support you when you said you were going to leave? Um, you know, did they kick you out? And it was really um, neat to hear their story. So the two guys have been friends all their life. So they grew up together, and they decided to leave together. They became believers together, um, and their families actually were very supportive of them. I don't know exactly um, the ins and outs of whether or not their family at first were fearful for them, but they later realized that if they didn't leave the country that they would probably be killed. So they were very supportive of them leaving, and I asked them um, how they had to leave, and they shared with us that they um, left on a boat, and they got um, in these boats that were only supposed to hold maybe 15 to 20 people. But it was holding like more like 57. 57. And this was men, women, and children. So they're in a small boat, and they're only given a small motor and maybe one, um, you know, tank of gas. And so um, they had a video of them leaving, you know, the the shore and going out to the um, the sea. And you know, they're happy and excited because they're you know going to go somewhere, thinking they're going to have freedom and um, be able to um, have a new life and well, when they got halfway to um, their destination, to Greece, to Greece they, um, reali- they, they ran out of gas. And so they were sitting in their boat, and um, they're trying to come up with a solution. And, and, you know, you got all 57 people who all got different ideas, and, and so they decide to pray. So they all start praying. Well, while they're praying, I think it was Kamran who had this um, vision that, oh, that's right. At one time, I had to... He had a... Uh, in Tehran, he did plaster and mortar, you know, like, and he had a gas-powered mud mixer. And when it would run out of gas, it, it would uh, vapor lock, so he'd fill with gas, then he had to bleed it, and then he could start it up again, right? And so he realized that was the same problem. The gas, the outboard had run out of gas. When they dumped gas in, it was vapor lock. So the Lord brought that to his mind. Right, and so he had to fight his way up there and to convince him that he knew what to do. And so he was able to finally do it. And, of course, everybody was really excited because the motor started and they actually made it to land. And then he had on his phone a video of what it looked like once they made it to shore. And it's just like what you would see. I think I even saw this on the news once where you have tons and tons of um, life jackets just piled high on the shore of all these people who have come across and um, made it to the um, to Greece and um, so they were sharing that and how excited they were but a little bit later on Gordy had shared with Steve and I when they weren't around um, that at that moment after they took that video he um, said they didn't tell you the they didn't tell us the rest of the story because what happened was there's two more boats that were with them and both of those boats ran out of gas, and both of those boats did not ever make it to shore. So these guys were on shore, and they watched these people that um, they were maybe, I don't know if they had any relationship with them, but they were in the same situation, and they watched these people perish, men, women, and children. So as exciting and happy as it was for them to make it to shore, they realized that they were very, very fortunate and that God had his hand on them because there was a whole nother hundred people who did not make it to shore that day. Uh, so they, um, you could really tell that they knew that God was playing a role and that, um, that they were very fortunate. And then for Demon, she shared how she actually got to um, Salzburg and she um, paid money to somebody to transport her in a truck 
and it was like a, a moving truck or a, like a um, semi trailer. Semi, and yeah. what they did is they put these people all the way to the back, and then they would pile all of the um, pallets, or, pallets or whatever they were transporting in front of them so that if they ever were stopped, no one would know that there was actually people there in that um, transport. And she told me they, they only got out once a day. Once a day, they got off that um, trailer to go to the bathroom and to eat. And the rest of the time, they were stuck in this trailer without any air or water or anything. No idea. And no idea whether or not they were going to get to the destination and make it there alive. And um, and then later, her ultimate destination was not Salzburg. I think it was England. England. But the next time she tried to pay someone to transport her, they actually stole her money. And she ended up staying in Salzburg because she had no other option. And for her, it was um, sad because she just got married. So she was married before she left, and her husband was still in... And he wound up in uh, Norway. Right. And the rule in Europe is the first place, the first country you land is what the country responsible for you. So he wasn't supposed to be able to get out of Norway, but he actually wound up in Vienna. And uh, they don't know how that happened, but he's in Vienna, she's in Salzburg, and they can't come together because if they come together, then they lose their status and they'll be deported. So you've got these crazy situations. And they can't work because they're refugees. So they have no way of making any money. So they don't have any money. And so they're really in a very hard situation because they are waiting to get um, their passports, right, passports. And so, um, and and, and as we were there, a lot of them were being denied because, you know, you got to have a solid reason to get a passport. And these guys... Their reasoning was religion, that they, you know, had a different faith now and that they were being persecuted back in their country and they needed to be here for... Um, Religious liberty. Yes, yeah. and, and so a lot of them, unfortunately, were getting denied, and that was really sad. Yeah, and that story's ro- still rolling out, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but these guys were... Fun. Walking through the concentration camp with them was a trip, mm-hmm. right? Because you know their stories, and it was just really kind of amazing. Okay, Last but not least, then we went, uh, so we roughly spent about a week, give or take a day, in each place, right? And so right after we got done here with Gordy and Tabitha, we just had a, a really blessed time. Uh, we went, and uh, Dave, can you roll it to the next one? There it goes, okay. Uh, so then we went to Ljubljana, Slovenia, and uh, we're there, and the churches. Uh, just, I mean, those of you who've been to Europe, seen that this was incredible. You could lay on the floor and look at that all day long. It was amazing. Uh, here's a pipe organ, and then look at this sh- chandelier. Just incredible. So, I mean, you could spend hours and hours in these places. Just amazing stuff. The cool thing about Ljubljana is that there was no traffic in the center of yeah. the city. So we were able to stay at a hotel in this um, city because our friends didn't have any room for us because they have three children in a small apartment. And so we just walked for like three days just around the whole city, and it was really nice that there wasn't, it was mostly just foot traffic. Yeah. So we yeah. enjoyed that. Uh, we walked one day really far and got lost a bunch <laughs> and because we were trying to find this wall. This is a Roman wall. Uh, it's uh, built, uh, it was a city uh, built back in AD 13 and 14 called Imona. And if you put the dates together, you realize that's just about the same time that Jesus was a boy in the temple. And uh, 
Mary and Joseph were trying to find him. And so you touch those stones and you go, man, this was here when Jesus was a boy. And your head just kind of goes, you know, kind of thing. Uh, it was it's incredible. You go through, here's a crypt that was in that wall and in that fort. Here's another gate to it. Here's a remnant of an aqueduct that supplied the city. Here's another gate. And this is, uh, you can see that's the wall about two city blocks long there. And, uh, and so that was, that was something for us. We had never seen anything like that. Here's the actual Roman colonnades uh, that were there. And then here's a picture of Ljubljana. This is the downtown walking area that uh, we're at. Did you have stuff to say about that? Did you like that? Actually, I did like uh, Ljubljana. They had great restaurants. It's interesting. Everywhere you go, they have all these outdoor seating areas for restaurants. Um, We didn't really talk about food much, but everywhere we went, we tried to at least one time try their culture's food. And for the most part, it was good, yeah. But they, you know, had a variety of stuff. And um, some of it, it was like, oh, this isn't really any different than what we get in the States. So it was it was fun to try different stuff. But it was also fun to just everywhere you go, there's food shops and restaurants and, and, and yeah. shops. Yeah. So one of the fun things is we did get to do something special. So David, of course, has known Pam and I since he was a little boy. And so when we came, they wanted to treat us. And so he's looking at Pam. And he says, hey, what do you guys want to do? And we said, well, you know, we really don't want to do anything. We're just here. We actually, if you guys want to go on a date night, we'll babysit your kids, you know. We couldn't get anybody to buy in on that. Um, but we really would have because we were just there to bless them. And so David, he's kind of a prankster and stuff. And so he winked and looked at Pam and he goes, how about Venice? And I said, dude, I want to sit two days in a car. We only got a week. And he goes, two days, two hours. Next morning, we get in David's car. And two hours later, here we are in Venice. So I emailed my cousin Frank, and I said, Hey, Frank, Pam and I in Venice. He goes, Steve, over your right shoulder? That's the hotel we stayed in. (laughs) So it's just like, wow. But Venice was a trip. I mean, everything you've ever seen, uh, you narrow little alleyways, and then you pop out into a courtyard, and then back into another little alleyway. The gondolas go along here. The thing about these is there's shops on all sides of this. Like you can see, and it's not... Uh, trinket stuff. It's like gold watches and jewelry and diamonds and like amazing stuff. Uh, that's how narrow the where. This is uh, St. Mark's, right? The big, if, if you've ever seen pictures or been there, that's spectacular. This is a view from the tower of the courtyard. Look at how huge that is. And the interesting thing about that courtyard is it's right on the water. So when the high tide comes in, the water rolls into the courtyard. Everybody has to leave the courtyard because it becomes flooded, and then when the tide goes back out, everybody comes back out on the, in the courtyard. Yeah, This is a view of uh, Venice. I, the, I thought the thunderstorm coming in looked really cool, so I shot a picture of the clouds. But you can see there's no real roads. There's no real streets there. That, you know, They just walk. The architecture was incredible. This is another view here of uh, Venice and uh, the dome. Uh, you, you see these all over the place, and, and Pam and I even got to ride a romantic gondola ride. Well, not really. <laughs> David cropped this, but that was, we're going across to this other basilica, I mean, they're just like everywhere. And you try to think of the money, and it's like, it's hard to get your head wrapped all around that. So we spent 
a day in Venice and, and just had a, a beautiful time. Never dreamed, ever dreamed in my life that Pam and I would be standing in Venice together. That was just a delightful treat. Um, so then we go back and we're going, uh, David and Katka want to take us to Blade Lake. This is a very famous lake. You've probably seen pictures of it. This is the castle that's on the lake. And uh, we're in Ljubljana, and uh, David says, we're going to go to the lake, and on the way, we have to stop at um, Katka's sister's place, which is about, what, 12 miles outside, mm-hmm. 10, 12 miles. Yeah. We, so we stop in this little burg, and Pam's going to tell you the rest of that story. Yeah, so we're picking up their oldest son, because he's at his cousin's house, and so we get to meet Katka's sister and her brother-in-law, and then they had some missionary friends. They... Um, had some missionary friends who just had come over to help them out, but they also had missionary friends who lived right next door to them. And so as we were there, um, David goes over and talks to um, the neighbor who is one of the missionary friends. And as they're talking, he's explaining, yeah, I'm taking my pastor, um, Steve, to the lake and show him the lake. And the guy goes, because he said my pastor, yeah, my friend Steve, and the guy goes, Steve Mitchell's? So you know how we always say everywhere Steve goes, he meets someone? Well, all throughout our trip, we didn't run into anybody that knew Steve until our very last day. And here's somebody who grew up in the area here, who used to um, go out to... Faith um, Baptist. He was from Faith Baptist Church in Kent, and he used to go out to Lake Retreat and work every summer. And so he knew Steve because he used to see Steve out there when Steve would um, I spoke at the junior high camps that he was at. Yeah. And he also knew some other friends of ours. So it was just like, oh, my goodness, on our last day there, of course, somebody's going to know Steve. So it was pretty, pretty amazing. This is uh, Blade Lake. By the way, what are the odds of that, that you're in a burg in Slovenia and you run into somebody who knew you when you spoke at a camp, right? Uh, but uh, these are the boats they take you across. Incredible craftsmanship in these boats. Uh, one family owns the rights to these boats and taking people across the lake. And uh, here's the picture you probably recognize as the monastery or church out on the island on the lake. This is uh, Aya, or no, not. Ayla. there we go. That's David and Kaika's daughter. She was having fun. This is the 100 steps up from the lake. Uh, when you got married, you had to carry your wife up that 100 steps to prove you could endure the journey of marriage. <laughs> That's the legend of that. And it was amazing. Andy Bontrager was out at the lake. Look at that. You didn't know you were there, did you, Andy? This is, this is Meehan, and uh, he is a guy that David led to the Lord. And uh, look, I mean, Pam and I were laughing like, that's Andy. Like, Andy's doppelganger lives in Slovenia, you know? And so we just had a great time. We had to take this picture so we could show you that. And uh, we just had a great time on the lake and getting his story. We found out there was quite a tragedy in that he had uh, two sisters that were twins and uh, they were out on the lake in winter skating and they fell through the ice and drowned. And so the dad kind of lost it. So he's kind of taken over the business for his dad. And every day that they roll over to the island back, they have to roll over where his sisters fell through the ice. And that was part of what brought him to Christ uh, was the tragedy and, and that sort of thing, trying to work through that. So that was really cool. Then we went up to another lake called Bohem Lake. And I, I, we took the pictures out. Of just They're the same as the other ones you've seen. But at uh, Bohem Lake, are you telling that story? Or am I telling that story? I'm telling the story. So we get there and 
there's this guy, there's a rope swing out, and David's getting his kids to swing on the rope swing out and land in the water. And this guy comes up, he's got three daughters and a son. And Pam picked up on that right away. Hey, that's the same as us. And, you know, and I looked at this guy and it just, I went, okay. He laughed and I went, that is not a European laugh, right? I went, he's from the Midwest. And so I asked him, I said, hey, can I, can I just ask where home is? And he said, oh yeah, Ukraine. And I said, I said, no, 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 I mean home. Where's home? And he goes, oh, Michigan. And I said, oh, well, we're in Michigan. He goes, Holland. I said, oh, you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, huh? And he starts laughing. He goes, how in the world do you know that? And I said, oh, I grew up in Green Bay. And he goes, ah, oh, wrong football team. And, uh, and, but we're laughing. And, and I said, yeah, my brother went to the Grand Rapids School of Bible Music, and I have friends from Holland, so I've been there. And so we start talking, and and, he, and it turns out I knew he was a believer. He was just too happy. And, uh, and so he starts telling me about his ministry. Well, they do stuff in the Ukraine. And he says, yeah, and we've been partnering with Josiah Ventures. And I said, really? I said, well, see that couple over there? They're with Josiah Ventures. He goes, you're kidding. So I called David and Kotko over, introduced them, and they started talking. And they even knew people in common. And so David's going to run a camp in the Ukraine, his English camp that he's running. And so these guys are going to team up together now and do a camp together in summer. So that was like two hits in one day. And I thought, that's a good send-out. We can go home on that one, you know. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Right after that lake, we went up. Uh, again, another spectacular that's the scenery up at the top uh, in Sylvania. The Alps there are called the Julian Alps. And that's where Julius Caesar came through on all his uh, deals. So the history there is just like crazy good and crazy old. Uh, the local native population came out to visit us on the slope. You can see that. And uh, there are the kids. Pam and the kids are skateboarding on a bench. And uh, this is... David and Katka, of course, you know them well. They've been here, and uh, Liam and Ayla and uh, Taylor, and uh, we just had a wonderful time with them. Probably the profound thing was um, uh, we, we, on Sunday, we, Sunday night, we went to church at their church, and uh, we got to meet uh, Katka's father and mom. And uh, her dad is the pastor of the church. Her dad is actually one of the major leaders in Sylvania for the evangelical movement and uh, for believers. And uh, so he was telling us, he said, yeah, there are 500 million people in Europe. There are 10 million believers. It's like 2%. He said, in Slovenia, there are 2 million believers and there's uh, 8, or 2 million people, 8,000 believers that they know of. And he, he says he's been praying uh, for 20 years for God to bring revival to Slovenia. And he says, I am so excited because he says, God has told me yes but not yet. He says, so we're waiting for the yet. And uh, so they are expecting God to break out and do something. It's been like 1,200 years since um, there's been a major breakout with Bible-believing, faith-based Christianity in that area. And so um, we just had a, a wonderful time interacting with that, you know, talking to him and then hanging with uh, David and, and Katka. And, uh, and then we came home. Right. So that's our trip to Europe. That's did, and we'll open it up for a question and answer, and then we'll we'll close. So, any questions off of that? So did he carry you up the steps? No, no, he did not. I told her back in '94 I could have. <laughs> yeah, Howard. Oh, and on uh, no, on Zanzibar. 
on the island. It, actually, it was interesting that they got along very well because they'd been together for so long that they, there's the natural tension, but they there's not strife, right? right. Yeah, they, they were pretty co- coexisted really well together. Yeah, yeah, Breen. Oh, money was trippy. Um, it took us a while to figure that out because uh, you can't use dollars and it was hard to figure out the exchange rate and so uh, we learned to go to the banks and then get so much a day and then make that last and then if we needed more, we go back again And because um, each country it was different. So we had... Uh, I mean, we were able to use our credit card. So we did that you know, for like most of our... Spendings, but um, but we did have cash for you know little treats. Ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Rich. What kind of what? Oh. Uh, well, they have chicken. Lots of chicken, pork. Pork. They had a lot of uh, like springbok and roebuck and uh, very different kind of meats. Yeah, gazelle. Um, yeah, it, it, it was very different. Yeah, they had a lot of like, they'd make jerky out of springbok and so you eat it and it was really good but really different. Yeah. Yeah. What was the most challenging thing to have to do? What was the most challenging? I think the only thing that we would say was a, um, a hiccup was our, our flight home. Um, we left um, Ljubljana to Frankfurt, Germany, to fly here, and um, we had to wait a couple hours. Our flight was delayed. And, um, and so that was the hardest thing, only because we were excited to go home, and that was the day I heard about camp, and I heard about the lice. And I'm like, oh, what am I going home to? So, yeah, that was the only thing. And really, that was not that big of a deal. So that, I think that was our only hiccup. The biggest challenge trip. for me was just getting ready for the trip. We had all kinds of shots. I mean, I'm immune to everything, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, A, B, C, I mean, you name it. Uh, and we had to take pills on top of that for malaria and all that kind of so that, just to get there was, because we didn't know what we were going to, right? Because we've never traveled internationally. So it was a major thing for us to do, and you're nervous before you go. But once you go and once you're there, it's, it's pretty cool. And I really feel like God showed us his faithfulness because, um, you know, we never got sick while we were there. Um, I was really worried about mosquitoes because I get bit whenever, you know, back here. I didn't get bit one time while I was there. Um, you know, you worry about your kids being here, and our kids did awesome. Nothing major happened there that I know of. And so, <laughs> and so really, we really felt like God really had this trip covered for us. And, and so I just look back on it, and I'm just so grateful and just really, you know, see that God really took care of every little detail. And that's why it Including was... Including no jet lag. Yeah. We never hit jet lag going or yeah. coming back. So really, everything he, he, he took Jack, care yeah. of. Things that we didn't even think about. And I didn't even see a snake. <laughs> yeah. No snakes. Oh, yeah, I know. My friend, when we, had to, when we went to, um, in Tanzania, when we went to the, um, 
uh, what you want to do here and what you'll do this fall. We seek you. We know every fall is different. And we pray that uh, we are right in the center of the ability to cooperate with you uh, for doing something here this fall in Mill Creek. And we give that to you great hope and ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, thank you for coming and your discussion.